As always, this bonus episode of That Robin Smith Game Sing is comprised of an interview held earlier in the year. As such, it is almost completely unedited and features segments not featured in the main series. Feel free to enjoy, and don't forget to tune in to the rest of the series and other bonus episodes on iTunes and on the main feed. For more information, find my Twitter account, Seibutsu, S-E-I-I-B-U-T-S-U. With that out of the way, let's continue with the interview. Ah, right. Uh, well, my name's Peter Willington, and I am uh, a man of many trades. Uh, I am the handheld editor of pocketgamer.co.uk. Uh, I am the founder of inretrospectpodcast.com, and I am a good-for-nothing freelancer uh, when I have the time. What's your earliest memory with regards to video games? Oh my goodness! Um, my earliest memory, my word. Um, it'll probably be uh, in my grandparents' house in um, a, a horrible part of uh, Royal Tunbridge Wells. Um, there is uh, weirdly horrible parts of Royal Tunbridge Wells, um, and basically, it was in their front room, and. I was very, very small at this point. I must have been about three or four years old. Um, and sat in the front room, and I was bored. And then one day they got out the small brown unit, and they started hooking up to the TV, and I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, obviously, because I was... A child, uh, and because uh, it wasn't a VCR, because we had one of those, I knew what that was, um, and it wasn't. Uh, oh God, what else could you put, plug into your TV? I don't know, Betamax player, I suppose. Um, it wasn't anything like that, and so they plugged it all in and turned it on and gave me a, a small little rectangle with a circular um, knob on it, and they said, "There you go, uh, play this." And I'd never heard the word play used in conjunction with the television before. And what it was, um, I, I would find this out probably about a, a couple of years ago now. Um, it was a Binatone TV6 game system, and it was basically a Pong machine. And back in uh, the late 70s, they made lots of these Pong machines. And, and this was kind of a, a, a British one made by the people who, made, who went on to make phones, basically. Um, and I just remember sitting there on the couch looking at the screen and I was making something move on the screen in this very crude game of, of, of tennis. And then they brought out this um, black plastic pistol and they said, you can fire at the screen and you can destroy the blocks that are floating about. And there was like a little gun shooting game. And this, that moment, blew my mind when I was a child um, I, I, I didn't know that the television could anything be you know anything more than just a passive thing something that was going to talk to me rather than me talking to it and 
so that that's the very very earliest memory and whenever I went over there subsequently I would sort of demand that we we that we put this game system on and yeah I kind of n- never really looked back <laughs> yeah. um, what was the first game you played or let's say owned is a better phrase I'd use but um, it doesn't have to be something you own personally but that you played to such an extent you, you felt yourself involved with it oh absolutely um, well, um, well kind of following on from there um, my grandparents both sides of my family's grandparents they kind of understood that I was really into this you know this little pong machine so they got me an Atari 2600 uh, Junior the little plastic model and uh, an NES and I believe they were within a couple of months of one another so I think I got one for my birthday when I was about five years old uh, and uh, I got one for Christmas as well um, and so I think that the game would probably be I'm going to take it I'm going to I'm going to have to go out on a limb here and um, say so it was the original Super Mario Brothers um the, the, the classic NES side-scrolling plumber adventure. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, and I, I ploughed hours and hours and hours and hours into that game. Um, and my, my NES was a, a much-loved, much-loved system when I, when I was a child, and I just, I just remember having so much fun with it. And, and having that thing of getting up at super early in the morning and um, putting it on the television... Uh, before my parents got up, and I could get a couple of hours in with Mario before they can, kind of came in and to, you know turned it off and told me to watch TV instead, <laughs> which which you know is a bit of a weird thing to kind of demand of a child like, don't play video games, watch television. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I kind of got a couple of hours of uh, Mario in and then watched Sesame Street, which I thought was uh, which was kind of a wonderful experience. Um, yeah, Super Mario Brothers, man, like that, like yeah, good good standing, I think, good standing. When did you first become aware of video games in a more public arena, uh, say advertising television or, or outside of the? Wow, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think um, around that sort of time, I, I, I kind of got interested in um, sticker albums because everybody in the playground was kind of, they kind of had these sticker albums and my, my family's actually quite um, um, well, poor at the time um, and um, sort of grew up in a very well-to-do place but not with a lot of money and um, and the, the children that were that went to kind of my infant school and my early part of my, my junior school and so forth, they used to collect football stickers. But I was never interested in football, and I never have been. Um, but I really liked the idea of getting, you know, um, having a big stack of stickers that you'd carry around in your pocket and then swap season, got, 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 need, and all that sort of stuff. And the shiny ones, are oh, amazing. Um, and I was in... Uh, walking home, I think this must have been from, must have been an infant school. Um, I was walking home with my mother, and we walked into Silverdale Corner Shop, which is now a co-op. And I know that because I went back there a year ago. Um, and Silverdale Shop was brilliant because it had all these amazing sweets and it had like papers and magazines and all that sort of stuff. And I spied a sticker album that I wanted, like it was the one that I wanted. 
Um, and it was the um, Super Mario Brothers uh, Super Mario Land sticker album. I think it was the Land one. It might have been. It might have been like a, a smorgasbord one where it was lots of different Super Mario Brothers. Um, and yeah, and there was this sticker album, and and you I, you get six stickers and that kind of thing, and um, and, and you bought the album, and then you take it into school and show off to everybody. And I was the only kid who had it. And because um, I was really into video games, and I really, really loved them, and everybody else, you know, was interested in Eric Cantona and uh, all the, the, the footballers of the time. Eric Cantona is literally the only footballer I know of. So, uh, so uh, yeah, and and so, but I do distinctly remember as a child thinking, hold on, like, like video games can uh, is something outside of the TV as well, like you know, like like that that seems odd to me because. My relationship obviously had changed dramatically of seeing the TV and then being able to interact with it, and then it was it was interacting with something and then realizing that other people interacted with it and other people were interested in it and it was a big enough thing that there would be sticker albums. And in my mind, I equated the popularity of Super Mario Brothers with the popularity of the... Um, you know the the, the 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 FA Cup, and and I thought, wow, Mario is is as important as as these people who kick a, a ball around. That's amazing. Like, like, and so in a wider context, I kind of understood that because obviously, um, you know, games up to that point had been brought to me by my parents as birthday gifts. You know, so so it wasn't as if I'd sort of been out and about in the shops and knew that there were game shops or anything like that. And I don't think, actually think Tom Wells had a game shop. Um, for for a very long time, um, so yeah, so so I think the sticker album was absolutely the first time that I kind of interacted with it in a in a weird outside medium. How do you think the games industry um, sold itself back then compared to now? Do you think it, it it's changed in a drastic way? I mean, it's obviously more more out there now, but. Um, you know, does it sell itself to children of the same age as you were then in quite the right way or in a way that um, that puts across the products in in the best light? Um, yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. It, it, the industry's changed, absolutely. That's 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 for sure. And back then, I think I think I think we can gr- we can agree that. Games were very much pitched at a you know a demographic that went up to about maybe 18, 19 um, at the very tail end, and you know there were games that were quote unquote violent, but they were very very tame in comparison. And really, there was no sort of legislation saying that you know a five year old couldn't get hold of you know a, a Metal Gear or a you know a you know a Contra or whatever. And those are if you think about it, really quite violent games. Um, and so I think that it, it definitely was pitched towards towards children earlier on, and now today, actually, it's almost as if they're not that much of a of a concern anymore because I think the industry is kind of still in this weird space where it thinks that it can get away with selling older, mature rated games to a younger audience and so for example you know I, I, I 
you know, and obviously this is anecdotal evidence, so I have no statistics to kind of back this up, but, you know, I know of people who give their children Call of Duty and, you know, Battlefield and, and all of those games, and, and they don't think much of it. And so games designers, they want really to be going for the lucrative market that actually has a- access to the purse strings, which is the 18 to, you know, 35-year-old male, female, whatever. Um, so they make the games for them, and they advertise them to them, but obviously they, they, they kind of rely on this playground mentality of children wanting to keep up with their friends and being able to compete with them online and that, that sort of thing. It, it, I mean, I think that that's a very, you know loose and general, uh, a generalised approach, and absolutely, you know, the, the industry does appeal to a wider audience than ever before now, you know, we have casual games, um, God, I know a lot of people would kill me if I use the phrase casual games, um, we, we have, uh, you know, games that are not for a core audience, for, you know, a hardcore gamer demographic, um, you know, we have mobile games that are, you know, we have Angry Birds, for example, it's one of the most played games in the world, and, um and, and, you know, that, that kind of a game appeals to all genders and ages and, and denominations and, and, and that sort of thing. But main, you know, home console and to some extent portable games, I think that generally you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of skewing more towards the 15 to, as I say, 15 to about 35-year-old demographic. And I don't think that that's particularly a good thing. And I, I just kind of don't think that... The, companies making those games anymore like for example Spyro the latest um, Spyro game with the, the little figurines that you place into the blocks which I find quite sweet um, uh, you know that is absolutely a children's game and it is aimed at kids and it, it's taken off with all sorts of age groups and demographics but actually if you name like the last game or the you know yeah I mean if you like, were to try and name like the last game that came out that was specifically tailored towards children I think you'd have a really hard time and even then, I think that you'd the the you know the last five years, children's games have have kind of devolved into platformers and uh, movie license tie-ins and that kind of thing because they 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 sort of see it as a companies kind of see it as like a an easy easy way to to make money and and kind of you know ensure that they're hitting all of the hitting all of the targets that they possibly can so. It's a bit sad, really, because obviously when I grew up, it was Mario and the Turtles and, Duck, uh, you know, DuckTales, and they were all, you know, I mean, take, for example, DuckTales, and I know this is going off a massive tangent to DuckTales, but, like, DuckTales, um, the first two games, they're actually made by Capcom, and Capcom made incredible platformers at the time, and DuckTales was a super awesome game that was challenging and um, vibrant, and it was intelligent and fresh, and, you know, novel. But ultimately it was based on this children's license. And and it, it was weird because a good game could be based on a children's license and, you know, people would play it. And loads of people I know have fantastic memories of the DuckTales games and the Turtles Arcade and, and that sort of thing. But but today I think, I think as you... I think if you were to kind of ask... Um, children that were born in the late 90s, if you were to ask what their favourite games are, I think, I think you'd, you'd start seeing less, you know, Mario's and Sonic's and uh, that sort of thing, and you'd be moving more into the Medal of Honours and the, uh, the Quakes and the Dooms. And I think that that's... I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. Um, so, 
<clears throat> yeah. Um, what impact, if any, <laughs> did uh, video games on the whole have on you uh, growing up? How did they? Do you feel they shaped your life and yourself as a person? Oh, they absolutely ruined my life. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I mean, so games are. Um, I think we can both agree a, a fairly solitary um, pursuit at times, and especially back um, at the very uh, when games were really sort of starting to take off. Uh, console games were starting to take off in the in the West. They were quite. You know, two-player games were quite novel because you didn't have that much technology to chuck, you know, two sprites around the screen at once. Um, and because they were quite solitary, they I was a, a very I was a very lonely child, um, and I lived uh, for uh, the, the sort of formative years of my life in a flat uh, next to a main road with a train track running behind it. So I wasn't allowed outside uh, at all. Um, the only time I was kind of allowed out was to go to school. And so I sort of had friends in school, but I didn't see anybody over weekends. Like it was always with family, and it was always um, it was all, or, or it was in my in my bedroom playing Double Dragon Three. It was a you know it was it was kind of um, a solitary experience, kind of growing up. And games allowed me to get away with doing that. Um, and my my I do feel my my parents kind of used. Um, games is almost a, a babysitter, which you know isn't so great. Um, and so it meant that I, it meant that like, and this is going to sound really sad, and I should I should probably kind of like warn your audience, you know, don't worry, I'm balanced, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, but you know, like at the time when I was growing up, like my Nez was my best friend because it in you know. It was the one thing that was interacting with me, and it was the you know, and it did whatever I wanted it to, and but it challenged me at the same time because there was literally no other way of me of you know kind of going out there and um, and and socially interacting with anybody, and and so so yeah, it, it was you know it was it was either going to be video games or it was going to be television, and and video games kind of. Uh, took over for me, and I, I, I'm I'm thankful to um, my grandparents like immensely because it means that you know they kind of instilled this passion in me for video games for the best part of um, at the time, you know, a, around about a decade until I kind of grew out of it briefly. Um, so so yeah, it definitely informed me, um, and it definitely did instill a passion in me um, for. For for the medium. Hmm. Um, do you think that uh, video or computer games are viable form of entertainment compared to the likes of film and music? Um, uh, I just term entertainment loosely there. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't just think that they are. A viable form of entertainment. I think that they are the most important form of entertainment in the 21st century. They are, they are vastly more important than than films, television, books, um, fine art, music, everything going forward. I think that games actually are the the next big medium. Um, 
and that's why I'm interested in it now because um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be part. You know, if 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 I didn't think that games were, if I didn't think that games were that important, I wouldn't be writing about them now. I'd be writing about film, or I'd be writing about you know paintings, whatever. It, it that's yeah, like to me, games are incredibly important moving forward. They are they are the one thing that will that that is almost kind of untapped. It has that kind of untapped potential, and it has this incredible. Um, realm of possibilities where it can go anywhere like we really are just scratching the surface of what this form can do and i mean if you actually extrapolate out where you think games might go next and where the the the, the form might go there are some really exciting possibilities on the horizon that that are two decades away you know where the form might not rep, you know might not look anything like this anymore but it will have come from it, and so I think that yeah, absolutely it is. And I think, and I think also if you look at finances, like video games are the most uh, the most um, profitable sector, uh, and, and probably I think it's the largest entertainment sector in the world. So yeah, absolutely, they they, they definitely are. The masses say so, and I say so. So. You know. What have been your uh, most memorable, best moments that you? Have experienced with others while while involved in games. Oh, with others. Um, hmm. uh, one fairly well, it's about it will have been about ten years ago now. Um, I remember uh, going up to a place in Southborough, which is just off of Tunbridge Wells. This is while I was. Uh, this is before I went to university, and the original Xbox was out, and Halo had just come out. And none, like myself and none of my, you know, none of my friends could really afford them. Um, I just got a PlayStation 2 at launch, which which I was incredibly thankful for. Um, and you know, I was I was amazed by it all. But this this Halo game came out, and there was a a, a kind of internet cafe LAN party place that had just opened up uh, in Southborough. It was only there for about six months, and. They, I don't know if you remember this, but when Halo came out, there was a, a small team of um, developers, uh, third-party developers, that created a tunnel system whereby you could connect your Xbox to a computer, your computer to the internet, and it would, it would, um, and then the, 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 you would then connect to a server, um, and you would be able to play online Halo, the original Halo. Um, whereas it was never designed to do that, and uh, <coughs> you know, and it was amazing. And but we'd never heard of this, me and my friends. And, and uh, obviously, like we played Tony Hawk's Two, that was kind of like a big multiplayer thing for us. And we played GoldenEye. But we went into this place, and they said, "Oh, do you want to play? Do you want to play Halo? We can play 16-player Halo if you like." And we were all kind of like, "Yeah, that sounds yeah, that sounds kind of cool." But there's only, I mean, there's only four of us, so. Um, he said, "Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. You just, you guys sit down, uh, and they charged us whatever the hell it was. Quite expensive at the time, I think. Um, and they said, uh, and they said, yeah, just sit down and, and, and pick a color of your Space Marine, and we'll, we'll get the game going. And I remember playing the original Halo online in this in this internet cafe against 16 other people, and the other guys, the other 12 
players or whatever it was, they were all in America. And I remember that was the first time I played a video game online. And that that kind of moment, like me and my friends were kind of shouting at each other and saying, Oh like he's over there like and this was in Blood like Blood Gulch, the original Blood Gulch, which I still contend is the best map because of this experience. Um and I was sort of saying, you know, like shouting to one another in the same room, like, yeah, yeah, like, go and get into the warthog and I'll drive you over there and, you know, doing all this kind of shouting at each other and stuff. And we were kind of holding our own, like, we weren't fantastic and stuff, but we were kind of holding our own and, and then, but also knowing that the other person on the other end, the people that we were playing against, they were human beings as well. Like, to me, like, that was magic. I could not get my head around that because at home I had a 33.6k modem and, you know, like, had difficulty loading, like, flash games. So how on earth this game was running, like, this beautiful, gorgeous new game online, I had no idea. And it was a really powerful moment for me because because it was like this glimpse into the future. Because, you know, the original Xbox was fine and it did online and whatever, but it was only really the 360 where, where online came to console games in a real and kind of um, exciting way. So really, it, it, it kind of was like just, just peeking back the paper of this beautiful present that was like the future of online gaming. And it was, it was, it was absolutely incredible. <laughs> uh, bearing that in mind... Um this is a bit more abstract, but uh, have games grown? Have games grown? Mm. Um, games are growing every year, I think. Like we, you know, our technology gets better. Um, the user base gets wider. The discussion, discourse around video games becomes more interesting, less childish. Um, the um, the you know, as I say, like the diversity of experiences that that you can have now is is unparalleled. It absolutely has grown, and I get really quite um. Well, as you know, like I I, I get a very sort of <laughs> uh, angry, I suppose, when people sort of say like, oh, video games, like oh. There's been no good video games since the Super Nintendo. Like I get r- really quite furious because because the format is moving forward constantly. Like every single year, we see improvements just in one area. If you just think about visual design, like just visuals, games get better every single year, and that's just one tiny thing that in reality doesn't make that much of a difference. But when you start taking into account like better physics engines and more compelling worlds, stories that from writers that perfect their craft like and and improve it and sharpen dialogue every single year i mean you know if you look back on something like the playstation one era uh or the playstation actually let's go to the playstation two era you look at the playstation two and you say right well what was the what was the great story game of the playstation two i think some people would kind of say you know well let's go with something like you know ico or a, a shadow of the colossus or a, you know something similar to that and you move on to the PlayStation 3 and the 360, and you've got games like Uncharted. And, you know, if you look at Uncharted 2 storytelling, you know, it's a very different game, and it, it tells its story in a very different way. But the, you could never have achieved that on, 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 on the PS1, the PS2. You know, you could never have achieved that on, on these, these kind of older systems without really kind of detracting and, and downgrading the experience and 
for me, like a big part of games is like the ability to to not necessarily tell stories, but to affect somebody on a on a on a on an emotional level. Like to to evoke an emotion is really quite a wonderful thing for for an art form to do, and and you know you look at Shadow of the Colossus now and you think, yeah, it is it is still great, but you kind of think, ah, if they if they did an actual remake of that, like a proper remake, rather than just an HD skin or whatever, if they actually just remade that game for the PlayStation 3 or for the 360 or whatever, like, just imagine what they could do now. And, and so I think that you, you always see advancements, you always see improvements, because technology gets better, people get better, the, the, the industry itself gets more exciting every single year. Nice call on the Shadow Colossus, then. Thank you. In what directions would you like to see the medium move and grow or develop? Ooh, um, do you know, I, <laughs> I actually, I wouldn't, like, I, I, I actually don't really care where it goes, because wherever it goes will be interesting. Um, like, there are some things that I, I wish we could see improved, like, just, you know, as I say, like, better storytelling, um, uh, uh, more of an emphasis on bringing uh, bringing the player into the world more, whether that's through 3D or through more um, elaborate sort of touch control, um, you know, a sort of all-over all full-body experience, that kind of thing. Like, I'd like to see that. But wherever kind of games go is 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 fine with me because I'm happy to kind of follow it there. And so long as we don't go down this really quite dark path that so many people kind of predict that you know we're gonna we're, it's just gonna be all endless sequels and there's gonna be no innovation and blah 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 it's all Zynga's fault blah. like as long as we don't go down that route which I don't actually think we will like I'm quite happy for the for the medium to go anywhere. How long do you think it will take before the, I'd like to say mainstream press or uh, larger, uh, more respected parts of the press, hmm. uh, will be able to see or willing to see uh, video games as the same level of value as films or art or theatre? It's going to take some people dying. <laughs> mm. um, basically, um, people like um, uh, people. Basically, any critic that is not prepared to understand that formats and mediums change and the importance of a specific art form can waver. You know, th those people need to go before you know whether they just leave or whatever or change their minds or however it is that they go, they need to go before this kind of new breed of writer comes in and says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Like, if we're writing about, uh, about video games in The Times or in The Guardian or whatever, you know, it, it doesn't need to be just a 200-word summation of a, of a game for a review. Like, it doesn't need to be that anymore. And likewise, it doesn't need to be... Um, this kind of afterthought, it, it needs to be on the same level. And it's going to take people, people pushing for it. And I, know, and I know that there are some people already within the mainstream press who are pushing for that kind of thing. I just don't think that they're 
they're pushing quite hard enough or being quite like forceful enough or perhaps they're not good enough writers or charismatic enough people to make that argument as convincing as possible whatever the you know whatever the case it's going to take it's going to take an old guard sort of taking a step down and a new kind of generation of writers to to move forward at the same time i kind of question whether or not they're important anymore to us like it i think that it's very indicative of um it's very indicative of mainstream press's kind of downfall um uh, you know from going from print to uh to, to online for example the fact that most papers just can't transition most magazines can't transition i mean god you look at something like future publishing and it's taken them years and years and years to just have a web presence and it's a good web presence now but they they missed the curve by a decade and and so you kind of you kind of look at these mainstream things and you kind of think well actually actually websites like um people like uh, my good friends at um the sixth axis um you know the, the incredible work that's done on eurogamer um even things that, and I know it gets a lot of stick, but like even places like Kotaku, they are moving the medium forward in a certain way, and they are making it more mainstream, and they are making it more acceptable. Um, but but yeah, I, th- I think it, it, it is just a case of like basically like if you like if you if you kind of like look at the history books. For a period of about three or four hundred years, classical music was the absolute, like, top end art form. Like, classical music was amazing. Like, no, you know, people couldn't get enough of it. And then, like, for about, you know, at the same time, you kind of get theatre, and that gets about, like, what we what we really know of as modern theatre gets about maybe a hundred years, two hundred years collectively in the in the limelight. Um, you know, as an important medium, it's, it's been around for much, much longer. But as an important thing that could, you know, that could move somebody in their seat, um, you know, it's, it's, it's only had a, had a very small amount of time. But if you actually look at those forms now, who the who who you know who fucking cares about the theatre anymore? Like, and this is coming from somebody who is a classically trained actor. Like, I've studied the theatre for, for for the best part of you know eight eight or nine years and like i have a degree in theater and acting specifically i don't care about the theater anymore because it's dying like it's not it hasn't changed it hasn't done anything new in the last 20 years except for shock people like at at the end of the in your face theater movement in in theater for example and this is getting very very niche so i do apologize but like the in your face theater movement was the last big theater movement that had any effect whatsoever and that died at the end of like the 90s when Sarah Kane hung herself like you kind of think you kind of think well so why is why does the theater get so much space in the you know in the in the broadsheets when it makes when it needs to be government supported to keep it going like if you look at video games like we're doing all right like we're always complaining about the government not getting involved in giving us like tax breaks and the tax breaks are just to make more money like like we're, we're complaining about that, and yet we give all this time and space to, a, a, like, theatre and fine art and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and they need, like, local councils to step in and do tombola raffles to like, keep them going. Like, like, so I, don't, I, think, I think that there is this, this thing of, like, we are so worried about this medium being, 
like, oh, when are we ever, when, when are we going to get like this recognition? It doesn't matter. Like, we just need to wait for them to catch up because we're actually it's people like yourself and myself that like we're actually at the, the, the at the forefronts of this, and actually we've got the easiest route into this this industry in, in terms of criticism because we are here now and we are here at the start. Like, like the people in a decade's time, in two decades' time, who start their careers, they are going to be coming into an industry that is incredibly hard to, you know, incredibly hard to crack. They are going to be stepping into an industry that is as hard to crack from a writing perspective as the film or the theatre industry, because they weren't here right now at, at the very beginning when everything was kind of kicking off. And I, I do feel kind of uh, sorry for them. <laughs> I did have another question. But it was quite a passion, was Yeah, yeah, was, that's that. perfect. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's a, I've, got, I've found one of my best bits so far. Uh, have you ever felt playing a game, we're going on a select diversion, subject okay. playing a game or involving yourself in video games could have an adverse effect on your emotional or physical well-being without your knowing uh, yeah, I guess it. I, yeah, I guess it probably has. Um, uh, when Gran Turismo Two came out, um, I no, it wasn't Gran Turismo Two. It was Gran Turismo Three. When Gran Turismo Three came out, oh god, that game. Um, I did the. I did two Gran Turismo endurance races in one day. Um, and those endurance races take about eight hours. Um, so I played, I was sat in front of my home television for 16 hours um, <laughs> in one day. Um, and uh, like I, I forgot to have meals, uh, I didn't really go out, uh, I don't think I washed. Um, and... Uh, and and so yeah, it kind of it, when I came out of it, when I'd finished that final lap, first of all, I was incredibly pleased with myself, and second of all, like I felt very disconnected from the world because I'd I'd been in another one, you know, I'd been in this digital world for you know sixteen hours, um, so I felt very very disorientated, um, and I think that that does have an effect on you. I think that that's a very short term example of how a game can affect you. And, like, for example, like, you know, if I, if I play an aggressive game, I definitely get amped up. You know, I definitely get, you know, the adrenaline starts pumping and I get, you know, into it and, uh, oh, God, like, you should listen to me play Street Fighter 4. Like, when Street Fighter 4 came out, right, I played it online and I was a terrible person. I'm not allowed to... I do not allow myself to play Street Fighter 4 online anymore because it is the one game... Though fighting games are the one genre that I get really competitive about and I get very, very angry. Um, and obviously, you know, you know, that anger would never boil out. That anger would never go anywhere else. So, you know, I wouldn't, you know, walk out of my front door and strike someone and then walk back in again, you know, just to just to relieve myself from this pent up aggression. But like but you can but you can kind of I can completely understand that, you know, games can affect you mentally and and in a, a society where you know, getting aggressive and shouting at somebody down so, down the end of a, a, a you know a communication device isn't really—it's a bit of a faux pas. You know, I can see how it would be mentally uh, detracting. Yeah. Are games addictive? Uh, well, I've, 
yeah, I mean, I started when I was three years old and I haven't stopped, so, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I think, I think they are. But, but then, so is everything, you know? Like, I, I really enjoy iced buns, right? I really enjoy iced buns, like, I think they're great. And Belgian buns in specific, like if you were to if you were to if you were to give me forty Belgian buns, right? I would try and eat all of them just in one go. I would just I would just try and absolutely hammer through forty baked treats in one go because I find them like Moorish and I find them addictive. But but at the same time, I probably get to about. Well, probably get to about five <laughs> and then I'd probably go I can stop now like you know like because I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna get diabetes or you know I'm gonna I'm gonna have a massive sugar crash at some point and I don't really want to do that um so I think absolutely they can be addictive uh, and that's not a bad thing um I, it, I I just think that people need to know when to turn stuff off and uh, unfortunately addictive something being addictive and somebody's inability to control themselves unfortunately get confused sometimes do you think games are capable enough on a narrative or expressive level to create real emotional responses yeah absolutely completely yeah uh, and they have done since since uh, I don't know space war in 1958 like 1958, 1962, one of those, um, because they, every single game has, you know, it's evoked a reaction, you know, and whether that's just frustration or laughter or, you know, just a very basic thing, games have been able to do that for, for, for like the best part of 50 years now. Um, what I think people get confused with is how subtle those emotions can be. And I think that that has only really been around for the last 15 years. Um, so, like a Metal Gear Solid, for example, um, that was able to do some very interesting stuff with emotions and that, that, that I found that I found particularly powerful and things like Silent Hill um, which one should I point to Silent Hill 4 for example that had a very um, yeah a very profound effect on me in that it managed to evoke the re- like an emotion of sadness for someone's future situation you know and that it, yeah, how do you go about <laughs> setting about doing that? Um, and but but yeah, that has been a very recent occurrence, and I think some people would probably argue that it goes back to Final Fantasy six, maybe five. You know, maybe it goes back to the Super Nintendo era, maybe. But I think really, it's only been the 32-bit generation onwards that's kind of really done that. Do you think that they, the medium has explored the full wealth of emotional possibility and do they explore emotions as 
a general topic or aim uh, as much as they could. Yeah. Uh, uh, more than just uh, joy, fear, and, and, and your, your stock of <laughs> game. Yeah, like a scary game is scary. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, Silent Hill, again, like Silent Hill 4, Silent Hill 2, specifically those two, I think, are the best examples of that franchise. Um, they managed to do things within a context of, you know, the, the main brunt of what they were trying to do was, was make you scared, but they also managed to evoke feelings of regret and loss and um, affection, um, which, which are, are slightly more delicate things to do rather than uh, you know when you look at I think the best probable example recently is like a Gears of War for example where where they try to make the, the the space marines like have feelings and you're meant to care about their you know their 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 fragile emotional states whereas really what they've done is just like chainsawed through ten aliens you know um, it uh, there are some genres that have done it very very well um, and there are some that have just completely failed um, but I mean, you look at something like a Heavy Rain, for example, and I think that there's quite—I think that actually that is a game that doesn't get as much um, praise as it, as, it, as it rightfully should. It's a—it's a—that's a fairly complex emotional game, and it, it does contain quite a lot of uh, feelings that, that the player doesn't usually um, doesn't experience in a game. For example, having some idea as to what it is like to lose a child in in a, in a in a shopping mall like that fear you know games have been able to uh, invoke fear since sweet home on the nets uh nets famicom pc engine something like that. uh the you know is you know we've been able to have fear since then but but fear of losing a loved one or fear of losing children or the fear of the unknown they are they are very very different things to a dog jumping through a window you know so um yeah so uh, games can absolutely games absolutely can but we've only really had you know we haven't had a huge amount of experience with it so far and that's that's something that could well improve uh, moving forward do games need to be fun <laughs> You knew I hated this question. Uh, no, I absolutely detest people when people use the word fun instead of what they actually mean, which is entertaining. Um, the best possible example that I can give you is um, if you play the game Manhunt, you can be entertained. But if you think that strangling some with, someone with a carrier bag is fun, there's something seriously wrong with you. But you can absolutely be entertained by it. Fun is enjoyment and smiling and, uh, you know, happy emotions, positive emotions. Entertainment is keeping you engaged. So, games absolutely don't have to be fun. And whenever... Right, okay. I saw... A, I won't name the website. I saw a website recently that at the bottom of it said, um, said like, graphics, sound, fun factor. Fun factor. Like... Like, what would you give L.A. Noir? Like, a zero? Because you're a detective in a job? Like, that's not fun inherently, is it? Like, like, um, um, like, 
what about something like, uh, I don't know, Africa on PlayStation 3? Like, your, your job is to go out there and be a photographer, and you might get gored by a rhinoceros. Like, that's not fun. That's a day job. Like, fun is eating 40 Belgian buns. <laughs> that's, that's fun. And, like, so games have to be entertaining because otherwise they're boring. Like, they they... If they if they don't grab you, then then yeah, like then yeah, the game's failed absolutely. But a, a fun game is Ratchet and Clank or a Jack and Daxter or a, a Mario Kart, like an entertaining game. Like and they are also entertaining, but an entertaining game it doesn't necessarily have to be fun. Uh, and in fact, most of my favourite games I wouldn't describe as fun. Um, yeah, so I get very angry about that. <laughs> So, uh, what's your opinion of the type of segregation we as a division of society mm. impose upon ourselves? Uh, for example, favouring one console over another, and then being aggressive towards others who choose <laughs> the other console. <laughs> so on and so forth. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Um, the, the very best... Uh, I can't remember who it was that said it to me, but... Um, they they basically says if you're a true like an in inverted commas gamer like if you actually love video games you it doesn't matter what system you're playing it on like for example like under my console uh, under my console under my uh, television right now I have uh, a PlayStation 3 a 360 and a Wii and they're all hooked up I've also got my PlayStation 2 hooked up because I still enjoy playing my PS2 um, I've also got 35 other consoles in this house because and that's I'm not exaggerating either that, and, it, and it's quite a problem I, I'm moving soon and I have no idea where I'm going to put all of this I rubbish I believe you completely <laughs> in the same situation it's terrible isn't it <laughs> um, uh, and and it's because I love games like I don't love Sony <laughs> you know like like if if you're that concerned, like if you're if you will only play a game like on a PlayStation, first of all you need to get out more because that's the company doesn't give a crap about you. They like as soon as they've got your money and as long as you're constantly giving them money, they do not care. Like if I rocked up to like personally, and I, I've no shame in saying this, my favourite console of the current generation is the PlayStation Three, and it's simply because it's nothing to do with the infrastructure or anything like that I actually think that like all of the systems um, are kind of comparable and they've each got their strengths and their weaknesses it's just the games like it's just the exclusives and I don't think that there's more exclusives like there's actually more exclusives that are better on a Nintendo it's just like you know on better in terms of Metacritic but on PlayStation like the exclusives that they have they appeal to me so like I think I like I definitely have bias because everybody has a bias like I prefer my PlayStation but at the same time you know when Mass Effect 3 comes out like if Mass Effect 3 had been a 360 exclusive I'd be buying Mass Effect like I wouldn't be like well it's on it's on to Xbox <laughs> you know like I, you know 
oh, M-Dollar has put out Mass Effect 3, are oh, rubbish. Like, no, I'll absolutely go and play that. I've got, you know, a computer, and I wish my computer was better, because I'd love to play some more PC games, because I've criminally, I've criminally kind of um, shunned, like, adventure and strategy games, because I just have never had a decent computer, and one day I, I, I hope to rectify that, and I've, got, I've probably got a very long backlog to go back to for the PC. Um... And I, th- I just think that people who get really riled up about this kind of stuff, they aren't, they're not actually in it for the games. They're in it for a kind of one-upmanship and a, 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 very, a very sad kind of dick-waving that, that I, I kind of thought we might have, you know, outgrown when we clambered out from the trees. But unfortunately, some people just still still want to go, mine is best because I paid £300 for this and so therefore it has to be the best because I made this decision. It's ridiculous. Like, the 360 has better online. To me, the PlayStation has a better controller. The Wii actually has, like, the more engaging, more, um, more childlike, more, you know, joyous games. And, you know, but... Again, like, I go back to my Game Boy Advance. Like, I've got a Neo Geo Pocket Color sitting on my shelf, and I whip that out and play the SNK Capcom card fighters, because I think it's amazing. And that's not out on any other system. But, like, you know, I think that being exclusive to one console, you're just, you're really limiting what you can play. Do games corrupt people? And can they make children violent? (laughs) Uh... Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, games themselves can't. And I do believe that children that... I mean, for example, like people said that, you know, the Columbine Massacre, they trained themselves on Doom. And we... I mean, at the time, I'm sure that that was terrifying, but it's laughable <laughs> now. It is. You know, I mean, it's sad that all those kids died. Like, don't get me wrong... But we've had enough time where we can sort of stand back from it and go, it wasn't fucking doom. Like, the, the, the thing that those children did was they found an outlet for their rage, and it happened to be a violent game. And there are violent, you know, there are absolutely violent games, you know. Um, there's, a great, uh, there's a great book uh, called Replay, um, which is a, a definitive guide to the history of video games. Uh, and it's made, uh, written by a guy called Tristan Donovan, I think his name is. Um, and he interviews this guy, and I wish I could remember who it was. And he basically says, uh, he basically says that, you know, violent video games have been around for forever because it's just easier to do it. You know, you, you, you know, you, um, to remove something from play, you know, to, to, to you know to to fire at something or to just remove something can inherently be a violent act because you are going from something to nothing and what is something to nothing well it's killing you know and you know that's kind of like the most base form so yeah absolutely games are violent um and i would say that children who are who have violent tendencies they tend to move towards those violent video games because it is an outlet for them and you know not to get too political or anything but you know if maybe their parents had kind of maybe asked them what was wrong and sort of said hey so 
playing this Doom game quite a lot, and I see that it's got a lot of demons, and you're shooting a lot of people all of the time, and you seem like a complete social recluse, and you don't have any friends at school, and you've got a lot of guns. Um, something the matter, maybe, instead of just blaming violent video games, maybe all those kids that wouldn't have got shot in Columbine. You know, like, I think that there is this fine line where games get the blame because they're they're the new rock and roll they're the new comic books um because it's easier to blame violent games because it is just an immediate thing you know you you associate that thing you associate children playing them with with the games teaching them to be violent you know and i th- and and it's just it's just an easy way out for for parents that should have known fucking better than to leave their children by themselves all of the time with guns um so uh, yeah, I, I ha- but at the same time, yeah, like they do, you know, I, I I'll come out and say it, like you know, my adrenaline levels go up when I play, um, uh, when I played Medal of Honor 2010, for example, like yeah, I, I I got really into it, like absolutely, and you know, was I jumping around the, you know, jumping around the room when I managed to off somebody, like yeah, probably, like, but at the same time, you know. Come back to that Belgian bun analogy. Like, you have to know when to say no, and that the only way that you can learn that is by socialization. And a video game ain't gonna teach you not to kill things, you know, <laughs> to kill things in real life because it doesn't need to, because nothing else does. Like books don't, you know, <laughs> like CDs don't. So why why should video games have to? You know, it's it's it, it, it's ridiculous. Do the specialist press do enough to represent the industry or the art form and inform the general public? Uh, yeah, I think we do a damn good job. Um, I think we, I think we miss some games. Like, I think we miss some stuff that could be fantastic. Um, for example, uh, I don't know, like. When Killer Seven, for example, came out, um, that didn't really get much weight thrown behind it by anybody because it was kind of a weird Japanese game by this new company. Um, was it new at the time? Yeah, Clover was new at the time. Um, so yeah, we do we do kind of miss stuff, um, but but generally there are still voices for those people. I, I think, for example, the likes of a Jim Sterling. Um, does an excellent job of of kind of highlighting weird and wonderful games that only he's heard of, because um, he goes out and does the research and looks into these games and 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 then talks about them because he's got a platform to do it on. Uh, Destructor seems like a very fluid, very personality driven website, and 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 he's got the space where he can say, Look, I think this game looks great. Of course, there are some websites that just won't let you do that, like some. For example, like an IGN, it's a business. Like, it's more of a business than Destructoid, which is you know, absolutely a business. But IGN, IGN is huge. You know, <laughs> it's like, um, so you know, the editor, the EIC of uh, of of IGN's, you know, gaming portfolio can't just write this piece and say, hey, I think this is awesome. Because that piece could be th- that piece could be taken up by a Gears of War feature that would be read forty times more. Um, so you know, yeah, it is. It is that. It it is weird. We do a very good job of it, and we are very 
we are very quick to react when people attack our medium. I, I do love that. Um, but we, I don't know whether we do enough. I don't, I don't know whether we sort of name sources enough. And I don't think we, we take a stand enough. We, we just kind of react. We don't kind of go and seek out these fights. We, we kind of just react to people being aggressive towards, towards the art form. So I think we're doing all right. I think we're okay. We're okay. Do games represent sports in a good way? And do they manage to recreate the sense of how sport feels, do you think, to an extent? Uh, I don't really play many sports games, uh, I'm afraid. Keep it as um, short as you need. <laughs> uh, it, yes, like skate is a really... Skate, is, skating is a sport, skateboarding is a sport, and I think Skate 3 does a really good representation of its culture and its, you know, the fluidity of its movements, so I think the yeah, it probably does... Can the fitness game uh, fad last? I suppose it's lasted for long enough now, but, uh, you know, or, or, as you mentioned earlier, casual games. Uh, do you think they, that this will continue as a gaming medium? And um, do they do any good for health? Uh, yeah, I mean... I I know a few people on Twitter who seem to think that the UFC trainer is pretty good uh, and actually works. Um, a friend of mine, Sam Turner, uh, used Wii Fit for a fair amount of time and didn't really see any improvement. Um, I don't know. I think... I don't think it's a fad. I think that they're kind of here to stay. And we've actually had exercise games for donkey's years. We've had them since the NES. And... They haven't been nearly as popular, definitely. Um, but I think that the whole culture of dieting and, and, and being fit and being a better you, that's been around forever. And that will continue to be around forever. And if there's a medium that can exploit that, then it's video games, you know. Because it, it, it's better than a Jane Fonda workout tape and that, like, because at least you can interact with it in some way and feel like you're, you know keeping your mind off the fact that you're just doing the same activity 40 times in a row <laughs> like, so yeah I, I think it's probably around to stay How free do you think games really make you feel? Uh, I I don't know I, I there is a freedom to do what you want but at the same time you're still constricted to the things that you can do anyway like so I mean, like you, like with Grand Theft Auto, the kind of incredible thing about GTA 3 was that it was a 3D world that you could drive around and cause chaos and go and shoot people and drive cars and fly planes and well, fly a plane, uh, and and that was great. But like I recently played GTA 4, and like I would you know, walk up to somebody in the street in the game and I can't start a conversation with them. Like, I can't, you know, I can't ask them how they're doing or I can't give them $10 just because I want to or, like, the only interaction with them I have is I can punch them in the face or stab them. Like, you know, or run them over or, you know, fire a missile at them, whatever, but... 
but you're still limited by those interactions. Because you have to be, because, because uh, you know, there's this, there's this idea that the bigger the, the bigger the open world, the more exciting and incredible things that you can do. And actually, conversely, the smaller the open world, uh, the more things you can do. Actually, like, if you wanted to fill a world with, with things to do, um, you would make it one mile by one mile, but let you do absolutely anything that you could possibly think of. You know, you could have a full-fledged conversation with any single person in the street. I don't feel particularly free in those games, other than the freedom to explore. And the freedom to explore to explore is, is fantastic, but it's boring after a while, you know. Uh, what one game do you think has come closest to representing a true sense of player freedom? Uh, do you oh god what the hell is it called oh yes Um, so Facade was a game that uh, you could you were invited to a dinner party basically Um, and you had full control of your character you could move him forward up down look around whatever um, but you, the only areas of the game were the lobby and the kitchen area and like the dining room lounge, that kind of thing. Um, and you couldn't really interact with much, like you couldn't really pick up anything or anything like that. But facade was unique in so much as you could type in anything, and your the people around you would react to what you said. So. Basically, the story goes that there's a man and a woman, and they've invited you. They're, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Um, and they've invited you for dinner, and if you just let the course of events kind of tick out, then they have a fight. You can change the way that th- that sequence of events by saying different things, and you you are free to say whatever you want. So <clears throat> it recognizes pretty much anything that you're prepared to say to it. Um, like, I played the game like nine different times, and um, it only takes about 10, 15 minutes to play it. Um, and it's free, actually. Uh, you should probably get hold of it. It's really, really good. Um, and so, for example, the first first time I played the game, because I'm a child, um, I started hitting on the girlfriend. So I sort of said, hey, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Completely ignored the guy. Completely ignored him. And he uh, he got in a half, walked into the other room to start making dinner, got drunk, I think, and then came back in and then said that he thought that I was hitting on her and he was furious and how could she do this and, and he storms out of the thing and it's game over. Um, well, it's the end of the end of your play session. And I felt an incredible amount of freedom in that game because the first time I booted it up, I knew that this was that this was the case that you know this is what the game could offer me and I went to type something and I thought to myself what do I want to type like what do I want to say and that is a very powerful because in no other game do you dictate what you want to do in any aspect like if you want to shoot a gun that's fine but you can't determine how you shoot that gun. Like, you can't, you know, like, you can you can say, right, I'm going to aim it, or I'm going to free shoot it. 
you can't say, I'm going to hold it gangster style, or I'm going to shoot it between my legs. Like, you can't make those decisions. But in facade, you can, you have the complete dictionary of words at your disposal <laughs> to have this conversation. And that is really powerful. That's the most free I've ever been in the game, I think. Um, yeah, really good. Is more freedom what gamers really need? Or is a more directed experience more rewarding? It depends on the game. Um, the if you made Uncharted an open world game, it just wouldn't work. For example, like because it's all about directed experiences, um, and it's you know if you made it an open world game, like a truly open world game, you might miss the train. You know, <laughs> like you might miss the train section because you're just late. So then nothing happens, and you know. Like, if you actually make it an open world game, like, yeah. No, and, but at the same time, there are incredible experiences that you can have when the game is free and the game is open and it, it, you know, it treats you as just another citizen of its world. Like, yeah, that is very, very fascinating and it can work for some games, but direction works a lot better for a lot of other, of other places. It's why you see, it's why there's a lot of improv comedy. There's not a lot of improv drama. If you know what I mean? Like, because improv drama is really difficult and doesn't really have any reason for being. But improv comedy is cool because you can bounce ideas off a off an audience, and that makes it improvisational. Um, yeah, it, it completely depends on the on the on the, the genre. I would say. Can games compete with other narrative-based experiences? Um, and uh, have they yet produced something that you feel truly has? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's 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 definitely been there's definitely been games that have have kind of kept me ticking along on, on narrative alone. Uh, so I, I would say that yes, they they, they probably have. Um, they're not as they're not as often as films and they're not as often as theatre because that's all film and theatre has um, it only has a story you know. um, but yeah I would say so um, the, the the plot of um, the plot of Metal Gear Solid 2 for example it just kept me going Like I just ploughed through that game because because it was fascinating and weird Kojima was just on one and it was incredible like Kojima was duping fans and uh, destroying his own legacy at the same time as, as, as promoting the Playstation 2 like I mean it was it was amazing like when I played that uh, but but I think something like an Animal Crossing also has that narrative element that I find really endearing, uh, whereby you, you're creating your own story, and and me creating my own story, I can't do that in another form, you know, like without being the actual creator, you know, I can't without being the person who actually writes the book or uh, you know plays the instrument or whatever. Um, like I can't create my own story, my own narrative, my own art within you know any other form by just reading it, by just absorbing it. 
Um, but with games, you can. And Animal Crossing, you absolutely can, because you start to become attached to these strange little animal creatures that are in your village. Um, and you start to make stories as to how those people got there, and you start to imagine, like, oh, well, where did they come from? And, ah, oh, why, why, why is this, why is, uh, you know, uh, Camo Frog being mean to me? You know, like, I wonder what it is that's made him an absolute jerk. Um, and that's unique to games. Uh, and, 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 and so, yeah. So, Animal Crossing Metal Gear, the Metal Gear series, um, they're, they're <laughs> an unlikely combination. Do you find cutscenes or as an alternative an active narrative is more effective uh, being cut away from the game for any point has a better means of imparting the story to you or do you feel that on the occasions where you've been left freely able to explore and move while the story's been happening around you has been more effective um, I don't think that there's any I don't think that it's a cut and dry this is better or this is worse answer um, it's just how games use them uh, a lot of people say that the storytelling in Half-Life 2 is 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 superb and I would agree with them to an extent um, but I can ruin the tender beautiful moments of Half-Life 2 episode 2's closing by just jumping up and down on the spot while something happens you know like I can I can ruin it and that story is you know that that's gone. I've jeopardised my own chance to do it, but I can do it, like because I've been given that freedom of choice. And and if I'd have been playing a role, you know, if I'd been you know moving moving about really slowly, like moving the camera around really slowly, or frantically trying to get to uh, the the character that, that that's in peril at the end, um, you know, then yeah, maybe maybe that experience would have been much 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 better. Um, and with cutscenes, they have that thing of you're just watching a movie, you know. Like, even if you had that quick time stuff, which I'm not averse to, but you're still just watching a movie. Um, and at that point, you may as well be watching a movie. It's still just as effective, because movies are quite effective at telling stories. Um, but again, you do... There is that There is that part of um, your brain which goes, well, this isn't really what I came for, but I, I'll accept it. Um I think it absolutely depends on the situation, and uh, I think a combination of both could be very affecting. Um, I really like it in, um, my goodness, uh, I think it was, oh yeah, for example, like in Gears of War, um, you know there are moments where you've cleared a, uh, an area of bad guys, and you can still move, but you can't run, and you can't shoot, but you can walk, right? So there are moments like that where the game goes right we are going to restrict you you can still move we're going to show you this incredible stuff but you can only walk because we know that you can't walk to this point to trigger this next sequence in the amount of time that, that it takes to actually walk like for us to tell the story that we want to tell you and I find that a combination of like those two things actually that's kind of cool because you still feel like you're interacting whereas really what you're doing is just kind of killing time um but yeah, so. Okay, let's make this a bit easier. Uh, what do you find motivates you to finish a game? Uh, I like it to be short. Uh, I like games to be about five hours long, genuinely. Because uh, I think that games that are longer than that are maybe overstaying their welcome sometimes. Um, I got to about 10 or 11 hours in my free time 
for a game usually um, uh, and uh, yeah uh, so I like them to be short I like them to be interesting in so much as I like them to show me something new at least every you know few hours like I want to see something cool um, whether it's within the the, the confines of the world that they've already created, or a brand new mechanic that they've that they've come up with, or uh, you know some system of play that you didn't think would be in this. Um, that that that's kind of what I want to do, and definitely story keeps me going, and and good production values, and, and you know comfortable control, and and that sort of thing. But but really, I just want to be challenged. Like I I play games to be challenged, and not in a not in a dexterous kind of sense. Um, Although obviously I do play games to be challenged in in that way as well, some you know some games, but mainly I want to think about the games that I'm playing. So, like one of my favourite games recently was El Shaddai, just because it constantly uses new types of visual um, uh, visual presentation to keep you thinking about what you're doing and where you are and 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 the the theme and tone of the the story that's being told. So, uh, so that kind of weird I don't like saying weird but they are weird games because they are pushing the boundaries forward whereas most people quite happily are, are prepared to play you know Battlefield and, and um, I don't know Gran Turismo or whatever and that's great like they're great they're great games but but I want to kind of you know I will struggle through a 5 out of 10 game because it's interesting um, whereas I w- I've I've put down a nine out of ten game like Oblivion because I'm just like well I know what's coming like this is an RPG you know so have external motivations like achievements ruined the experience um, um they they have ruined experiences. But they don't ruin the experience. Um, the one I, I uh, so I played Mirror's Edge to uh, Mirror's Edge twice. Uh, the first time I played it, I wanted to get the achievement uh, for not killing anyone because I thought that because it was an achievement, it was something that should be you know that you should strive for. Um, and it turns out that that actually makes the game really hard, whereas. Whereas my second run through the game, where I just was just like, yep, yeah, capping that guy. Like, if I could take him out normally, then that's great. But if I had to shoot him, then fine. Like, like to me, actually, that was a much, much better game, like, the second time I played it. Um, so they can, they, can have, they can have that adverse effect. But at the same time, like, I'm not really one of those people who wants to go out there and get all the trophies. Because I don't... Again... Gamer score is just is is just one of those things to kind of wave around in people's faces and sort of say, "Hey, look how much better at games I am than you." Oh, I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm, I really don't care for it. So. Uh, do you feel competitive when playing with others? Uh, rarely, Street Fighter, uh, but otherwise, no, not really. I actually get more competitive in talking about games. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I, I Discussing games, I get very, very passionate about, but but actually playing them, nah. Like, it's not worth it. Like, 
And I prefer cooperative games anyway, because I like working with people. I like building something. I don't really like destroying. Personal favourite moment in video games? Finding the... Finding Meryl's frequency on the back of the Metal Gear Solid game box. Um... I spent two hours running around the first three areas of Metal Gear Solid trying to find the uh, codec frequency for Meryl. Because she said before departing, you can find it on the back of the box. And I thought that she was referring to a a box in the game. And when I found a cardboard box, that made me think it was even more in something like that. So I spent two, maybe three hours trying to position Snake in a place where I could look at the box that I'd hidden in uh, so that I could see the codec frequency uh, and then I kind of like ran around looking for all this sort of different stuff like trying to find all the boxes that I could find and trying to find this yeah and then uh, I spoke to a friend of mine and, went, and then said and they basically said to me yeah it's on the back of the actual game box the, the box that it came in and uh, that moment I felt more like a fool and more confident in the abilities of the game developers of the day <laughs> than I'd ever felt, ever. And I, I don't think I felt that ev- that way ever again, uh, just because it was such a profound experience. Most important game you have ever experienced? Um, I've used the word important. For yeah. Specifically there. It, I, it always comes down to two games for me, and, <clears throat> well comes down to a few obviously but I think for me what's important right now is my career and I wouldn't be writing about games if I hadn't played Metal Gear Solid but I wouldn't have got Metal Gear Solid if my friend hadn't played Tony Hawk's 2 with me like constantly um my friend had THPS2, and we I would go around there and play it non-stop. And I had a Nintendo 64 at this point, because I'd saved up and got one second-hand. Uh, like I'd saved, like I'd saved up all of my pocket money like for the best part of about five months to get the 64. And I hated it. Uh, and so I traded it in and got PS1, and I had, like, no games. Uh but I got that PS1 because I wanted to play Tony Hawk's 2. Um, because I loved everything about it. I loved the way that it felt. I loved skateboarding at the time. The music defined the music that I am interested in now. Like, like when I was young, I was into punk rock, and I still am. Like, like Dead Kennedys, Bad Religion, No FX, Pennywise, like, all of these, like, fundamental like social distortion and then like hip hop like public enemy and like the the hard rock of like Rage Against the Machine like that that soundtrack is incredible and it does not get enough respect for what it did for an entire generation of youth um so it involved like all of my music and it made me go out and buy a PS1 and then I managed to play Metal Gear Solid which made me think that hold on games can do something interesting and new and they don't just have to be about score they can be about they can be about changing your perception of the world but that 
philosophy would have only that that philosophy only came about because I wanted to do a Christ air in my own house. Uh, and and getting a PlayStation to play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is the only reason that that came about. So uh, I'd say, yeah, uh, uh, Activision are in some ways responsible for me, yeah, for me getting into this industry. Who do you feel is the most important person, or if you like, team, mm. working in the industry today? Today. In terms of their like current output, it's up to you. Ah, very <laughs> open. Uh, in terms of obviously, obviously the most important person in video games, and I would I would argue with anyone to, to dispute this uh, is Miyamoto. Like, hands down, Miyamoto is the reason that every single person who is listening to this is playing video games. Uh, but. In terms of modern output, actually, my favourite um, my favourite creator is uh, Guichi Suda, um, guy behind No More Heroes and the criminally overlooked cr- uh, Flower, Sun and Rain. Um, he helped out on Killer7, uh, and he just did Shadows of the Damned. Yep. Uh, and he's working, at the moment, on my a game that I'm incredibly excited for, which is a game called Guild One, uh, which is coming out on 3DS. Uh, and it's, he's making a small game as part of a collection of games in one car, uh, in one cartridge called Guild One. Um, and what he's making at the, what he's making sounds amazing. Um, but No More Heroes, uh, for me is, is the epitome of what we could do with video games. Um, uh, it gets a lot of flack, that series, uh, for not being a very good game. And actually I'd argue it's a, it's a very, very cool title. Um, not just for art style or for its story or for being wacky, um, but because actually what Suda51 is doing in that series is taking the piss out of every single one of us. Like, he he leaves absolutely... Like, Goichi Suda is laughing in every single person's face at the end of No More Heroes 2. Like, there is not a single person who has interacted with that product or not interacted with that product that that uh, Sudasan is you know hasn't taken the mick out of he's he's attacking otaku he attacks all gamers like he attacks people who don't play games he attacks like the elderly and the young and the infirm and women and men and transvestites and transsexuals and uh, like straight people and gay people and people who don't understand uh, sexuality at all like he attacks anime and manga and um, Japanese culture and American excess and like and at the end of the game at the very end of the game when I thought I completely escaped his gaze and his judgement because I thought I'm a very smart I'm a very smart critic I know what he's doing here this is He's very droll, very dry, but he hasn't got me. Uh, at the very end, he manages to go like uh, Travis touchdown manages to go into this big speech about about basically this kind of meta narrative about what's happened and how how the game has kind of been a pastiche about everything. 
and is kind of talking to the people who are like you know like me very much like me sort of like scratching their beards like mm, yeah this is this is highbrow stuff and then right at the end is an ass shot just a shot of a woman's ass and he manages to sort of go it's basically Suda at the end going fuck you all because you think that you're really smart because you've understood this game but what makes you think that it is a smart game maybe it's just a game about a guy with a lightsaber and he likes girls like maybe that's all this game is and you know you looking down your spectacles at me and saying that I'm this auteur you need to lighten up and he is fantastic like he is amazing um, and he really is making the, 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 the kind of work that we should all be buying in spades but we're not unfortunately because it doesn't appeal Thank <laughs> you.